Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today marks one year since we have been on the air with Sirius XM. I'm so excited about that, right? In, in three weeks, it's going to be two years since we officially launched the podcast. So two years as a show. And one year with Sirius, and it's been an absolutely fantastic, amazing, wild ride. Thanks to you, our listeners. Uh, love, love, love being live on the air with Sirius. That's always so fun for me as somebody who came from you know a career of live broadcasting. This has added such a special element, and I love knowing that you're out there listening right now. And when we take calls, it's fun to hear your immediate reactions. On our podcast, that's how I get most of my news, so I love being in that medium. And YouTube's been on fire. So that's been super fun, too. I know there are a lot of people who only get their news from YouTube. Um, so we're making our making our run there. YouTube, Rumble, and on and on. And on a TikTok, a Facebook, all of it. Anyway, the show has been a big success, and I'm very grateful to all of you for it. I really feel like we have a direct relationship. I feel like I, I know you, and I feel like you know me. And if you're still with me after this year on Sirius or two years as a podcast, um, you you know what to expect from us. Not a lot of filters, <laughs> not a lot of agendas and really no bullshit. I'm just not into wasting your time. You know, I, I'm open about my own biases where they appear. And I think, um, you know, you're getting the straight skinny for me. I'm not I'm never going to mislead you for partisan purposes or other purposes. Anyway, we've got a lot of big guests lined up for later this month to celebrate our two year anniversary. And we're going to reveal them soon. But for today, let's get to the news. The always provocative Larry Elder is here. Love Larry. And guess what he's done? He's made Uncle Tom 2. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you haven't seen Uncle Tom 1, go do that. Okay. But Uncle Tom 2, it actually, it might be even better. I learned so much. A deep dive into BLM, into Saul Alinsky, into the Russians sowing discord in America and how in the, the tactics that they have used well before 2016 to try to foment um, disagreement and distrust. It goes on and on. And Larry has taken an honest look at how we got this divided on the subject of race and who's really running BLM. Guess what? It's not even a black person. <laughs> OK, we're going to get into all of it. Very timely, considering that yet another leader of Black Lives Matter has just been accused of stealing more than 10 million bucks from the group. 
This is the guy who's married to or partners with Patrice Cullors, one of the founders. We'll get into it. I mean, basically everybody running that organization has been has had been tapped on the shoulder by law enforcement or by some bank regulator uh, or by civil litigation or by members within BLM saying you defrauded me or you didn't give me the money. you. Pro-. I mean, it just goes on and on and the media won't cover it. But we begin today with James O'Keefe. Very excited to have James here. You saw the show yesterday uh, where we played many of his Project Veritas videos. Well, he's out today with a new video exposing yet another teacher slash administrator pushing a left wing agenda on students and proudly boasting that if a teaching candidate shows any hint that he or she might be a conservative, they won't be hired. They won't be hired. And, And if they appear to be a conservative while employed there, guess what? They'll be fired. Very open minded. Very honest of this person. Uh, and wait until you see what happened when James confronted the people that his journalists, his operatives are exposing, like the aha moment where James comes and sits down at the table. We're going to play those for you in moments. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. James O'Keefe is with me now. Hi, James. How you doing? Hi, Megan. Great to be with you. It's great to have you back. And, you know, I said yesterday how much I appreciate these videos as a mother with three young kids in school. I just, you know, there's it's one thing to know just, yeah, these teachers are biased and these schools are left leaning. It's quite another to see the admissions on camera. So just set it up for us. What made you think to target this field? Because you've, you've, you know, taken deep dives into ACORN and many different uh, voting groups or sort of operatives, but why educators? Well, I mean, we did a story a year ago on a teacher named Gabriel Guype in Sacramento, and that was just an absolute firestorm. Parents flooded the, uh, the board meeting in Sacramento. This is one year ago last week uh, on, uh, on around Labor Day. And uh, this was the school board meeting was just very moving. It was very touching to see all the hundreds of what I call mama bears. And these are not Republican or Democrat necessarily people. These are just angry mothers. You don't mess with a mother's children. And this tape a year ago showed an, a self-described communist anarchist say he wants to F with your, your kids. He wants to give extra credit to go to Antifa rallies. So we dispatched our undercover journalists in the field uh, and ran into these teachers in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and New York City, uh, exposing what they really felt and what they really were doing. And the, the one in, in Greenwich uh, school, this is an assistant principal, no low-level official. In fact, the assistant principal is tasked with hiring all the teachers. And he told our undercover journalist 
that he discriminates based upon religion and doesn't hire anyone over the age of 30. And this, and now they've let him go. He's on leave. So um, that, that caused just, that, that was that the Democrat attorney general of Connecticut, the Democrat governor and the Democrat U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal are all shockingly supporting Project Veritas in this case, launching investigations, which is the purpose of journalism. But it's also prompted um, outcries about our methods, Megan. A lot of people attacking Project Veritas for secretly recording these people and setting them up, et cetera. We could get into that. But at the end of the day, uh, you can see their lips moving. And this sort of journalism is necessary uh, in a society where we don't know what is happening in our schools. No one made him say what he said. He willingly said he discriminates against old people and he discriminates against Catholics, that he won't hire them because he believes they're more conservative. Whether that's true or not true, it's in terms of conservatives being more uh, or Catholics being more conservative and older people. It's illegal. It's illegal. So an investigation has to take place. They have no choice but to look into this. And I definitely want to talk about the tactics. I mean, I realize that they've always been controversial, but but we always get something out of these videos that advances the discussion. So I don't know. I mean, I had the guys on from Fifth Column yesterday. Their objection was. I don't know. They did, I'm paraphrasing, but like seems mean, right, to sort of set somebody up thinking that they're going out on a date with some hot young gal. And it turns out she's she's working for James O'Keefe and this isn't a real date. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I think all journalists are confidence people. They they um, it's a common common practice in journalism to to deceive your subject in order to get truthful information out of them so that you can tell the truth to your audience. That's the purpose of journalism. And all journalists do it in some form or another. Um, all journalists deceive their their subject. There's a famous book by uh, Janet Malcolm, an author who wrote that all journalists have been doing this for decades. And then the subject realizes that the whole, the journalist's purpose was to tell a story, not to help the subject. So, uh, but what why we do this is because you can actually see their faces. You can actually see their lips moving. We don't ask you to trust us. Now, I, I, there was a press conference outside the school in Coscob. Uh, parents were there. Every TV station in Connecticut was there. It was quite extraordinary for me because I'd never really done that before. And I, and every TV station was asking me this question. Why don't you release the full raw video? Why don't you talk about the name of the person who recorded this man? I said, you guys in media would never do that. You would never release the name of your source. In mm -hmm. fact, if you read the New York Times and Washington Post, they give you no actual evidence. They don't give you any tape. They don't show you the 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 way their sources are talking, the intonation in their voices. They ask you to trust them. These are newspapers now. By virtue of the fact that they're credible and they ask you to trust them by virtue of the fact that they ought to be trusted. Veritas doesn't ask you to, tr Veritas shows you the tape so you can see it for yourself. Imagine, Megan, I had said, according to people familiar with the situation, an assistant principal in Greenwich is discriminating on people based upon their religion. You would say, show me the tape. That's you would say, right. I don't believe you, James. Uh, show me the information. Of course you would say that. So what we're doing is 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 more transparent than any anyone else in media because the evidence is incontrovertible. You could see, you could hear Jeremy Boland's voice. You could see his face. And you could even hear the reporter asking the question in that restaurant in Stanford, Connecticut, when he talked about uh, not hiring people over the age of 30, which is what's causing this attorney general to launch a civil rights investigation. And I'm not I mean, I. Uh, 
is this, can we hear this one? Just, I'm ta- oh yeah, this one is clear. We'll play it for the people who didn't hear it yesterday. This is just one of the many sound bites with this Greenwich assistant principal of a K through five elementary school talking about his hiring practices. Have you had a lot of right wingers applying? Um, I haven't. I haven't interviewed many because I feel like I'm able to screen it out. How so? I need younger. So, because Greenwich pays very well, you get teachers from other districts who've been there for a long time that want to come to Greenwich. But if they're older, I'm not allowed to do that. But I, I can't. Tell them I'm not interviewing you because you're older. I just don't interview you. So, like for one position, I think we had 30 applicants. So, out of all those applicants, I don't think I interviewed anybody over the age of 30. Because they would. A couple of reasons, yeah. Because sometimes you only get the more set your ways and more conservative. I'll never be able to change that feedback. Which one? The conservative one. Oh, yeah. in a ways. I'll never be able to fire her. I'll never be able to change her. Never be able to fire her, never be able to change her. And of course, she would have to be changed being conservative. So let's get to the moment of confrontation. Because yes. at some point, I mean, you're watching the video because this woman who was going out with him, you know, the, the journalist, she had more than one meeting with him. That was clear. Right. Yes. Yeah. OK. So there was more than one. And so then there comes the point where it's sort of like, you know, those old TV shows where the big reveal is James comes out and says, yo, <laughs> I'm James O'Keefe and um, you've just been had basically. So for, can I just ask you as a human, is that scary for you? Is your is your heart pumping? Is your adrenaline flowing? Oh, like the the, the Chris Hansen NBC to catch a predator, right? When yeah. he sits down yeah. with the guy and the guy thinks he's meeting with the girl and then Hansen shows up and says, I'm with Dateline NBC. Um, no, it no longer it no longer uh, makes me uh, uh, perhaps in the beginning, I, I my heart was beating at 140 beats per minute. But this is just what I do. Um, and it's and it's sort of surgical in the sense that, um, you know, we have the iPad, we have the recording. You're talking about at the Bar Taco restaurant in Portchester, New York last week. I showed up. I walk into the restaurant um, and I talk to this assistant principal, Jeremy Bowen. I show him the tape. And I don't know if you have that moment queued up, but it's an extraordinary moment because their brains sort of freeze and they have this like mini stroke on camera. And and sometimes the subject will react in a bizarre way. And and I think Jeremy Bowen said something to the effect of you can't do this. You can't do this. He kept saying this to me. And I said, what do you mean? I can't do it. He's like, you can't do this. I said, well, we have that actually. Let's, let's what are you going to do? It. <laughs> so it's quite uh, something. Talk to you on the back end. Here it is. Hi, uh, you Jeremy Bolin. I am. Uh, assistant principal, Coscob. How, how do we know this? Uh, we know this because you're caught in a hidden camera video uh, saying that you uh, don't hire Catholics. Is it ethical to discriminate against people due to their religion? This violates Connecticut law. This needs to stop right now. Statute for, I'm sorry? This needs to stop. Why does it need to stop? Because I'm telling you it needs to stop. What are you going to do? Why do I have to do anything? It needs to stop. Well, I'm a journalist. I'm asking questions. Okay. So you, you, you want me to stop asking questions? I didn't agree to this. 
Well, you agreed to speak to this individual and tell her that you don't hire Catholics. It's a private conversation. So is it true that what you said, you don't hire Catholics? I'm going to walk with you. Yeah. So <laughs> this needs to what, stop. What I, You're hearing his internal voice like, please, God, let it stop. Please stop. I mean, this is a really profound moment, though, because it says so much about everything. I mean, there's a lot to say. First of all, the first thing to say is after that happened, the they called the police on me. This is the Port Chester, New York police. Three police officers escorted this man to his vehicle and oh, threatened God. to arrest me for disorderly Wait, so conduct. Consent, for, right. One party well, consent. Of course, it's perfectly legal, yeah. but yeah. it is one party consent. There's nothing wrong with anything we did. And when they asked me to leave, I left. But they would never threaten News 12, Westchester, NBC4, Fox News. They would, police officers would never, ever threaten a journalist with arrest like they did to me. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. The second thing is he said it was a private conversation. But notice he didn't say that he didn't say those things. Yeah. He said, no, okay. no, no, you got me in an unguarded moment. And of course, the whole purpose of investigative reporting is indeed to get people in unguarded moments to expose the things that people want kept hidden. And these days, our media only trusts the experts, the authorized knowers. They will they will only report that which the powers that be want the people to know. And this is a critical distinction because you're not allowed to to uh, report on this. In fact, the attorney general initially, this is William Tong, attorney general of Connecticut. Day one, what you just saw came out. His response was, quote, journalism should be left to journalists. There is something wrong with vigilante journalism and this should not be celebrated. This is the attorney general called me a, quote, vigilante journalist. Now, after he said that, parents were upset about the fact this man was discriminating against people over the age of 30. And so much outrage from the mama bears and mothers. The next day, William Tong said he was launching an investigation. But what is with this, Megan, this <laughs> attack against me for vigilante journalism? But that's their, and, and, their escape hatch from having to do anything about it. That's somebody who's on the side of this teacher's ideology looking for a way to dismiss the whole report. But this was too explosive. They couldn't do it. We can. I, I said yesterday about the Trinity woman. We'll get to her in a second. This female teacher at Trinity in New York City, a private school. In what context could she offer that would lighten her remark about them having to get a serial killer to take out all the white boys? Uh, <laughs> so funny. Like, how? what is it she's going to add on the deleted portion of the interview or the not used that's going to soften that? Right. Like th- they can't. The only way you get any results is is when you can show them the video and they can't wiggle. Right. Well, that's, they'll, they'll they have that no choice. They'll say that it's edited. Uh, that's their. So, well, we released the full raw, which I have done. But the problem is e- even the notion that that if I release the full raw, do you think that's going to placate these people? Do you think they're going to go up? Oh, OK, you got us. <laughs> You've done what we asked. No, of course not. I released the full raw and then they're going to say, well, now please release the full raw raw. How do we know that you didn't meet with this woman a, a fourth time or they engage in these sort of conspiracy theories. In fact, one time I had to redact a portion of the tape because my my undercover went to the bathroom. And of course, I'm not going to put on YouTube because they, they wear cameras <laughs> yeah. on their body. So of course, okay. I would never publish that part. And people were upset at me for redacting. And they say, edited the tape. There, It's it's really a, a, a fallacy for them to say that ta- all journalism is edited, obviously. 
um, for time and for yes. context and sometimes any to protect taped package you see on NBC, on Fox News, on any program, if you see a taped package on 60 Minutes, things have been edited out. The The question is, are the edits fair? And, and the consumer makes up his or her mind about who they trust to make fair edits, you know, to sort of leave in if the guy contextualized his remarks in a way that undermined the messages that you're delivering right with your piece, then you have an obligation to include that, you know, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? So that's the question. Are, are things that would change his overall meaning, soften his overall point or, or, or outlook? Right. Were those taken out? Absolutely not. I mean, this is fully in context. We we, I, I can assure you of that. And our litigation record is clear. We've won all these lawsuits and the media will say, yes, but you were sued for defamation. And I say, and I won in court on yeah, summary judgment and directed verdict in those cases. And then they'll literally say in the next sentence, but you were sued for defamation. So <laughs> it's just it, it, it's 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 as you pointed out, it's an ideological crusade. And, and this is not a political expose. That's why we chose this story, because I think these stories are bringing people together. This is not politics. This is discrimination against people based upon their race or their religion or their um, age. And I think Project Veritas is going to do more stories like this. I think the country is deeply divided. I think everyone is viewing things through a political lens, a, a Rorschach test of what their politics are including in the state of Connecticut right now, upset that we've exposed this because they like, you know, the Education Association. Education Association actually sent out a memo. This is the teachers union in the state of Connecticut saying that all teachers need to double down on caution and beware of Project Veritas and me, O'Keefe, who is <laughs> lurking around. I said, double down on caution. Why don't you just not do anything fraudulent? Just don't be biased. Don't be, don't do an illegal things. It's, it's, it's and yeah. people always say, James, how do you catch these people? I say, because, because they behave like that. They, they don't reform the behavior. They just double down on trying not to get caught. So I have to use more elaborate undercover techniques but, to expose them. But the underlying problem, yes, you've exposed illegality for sure. You cannot discriminate against people because of their age or their religion. That's very clear. But the underlying threat is because of their conservatism. That's what that guy is trying to weed out. And that is why you're meeting with resistance, because these liberals who are on that teachers or that administrators side of the aisle want to protect him and agree with his approach. That's what's so outrageous about it. The, the fact that you got two admissions of actually breaking the law is the only thing that's made anybody above that guy in the totem pole listen. Otherwise, they'd be backing him. They'd find some way to back him because they support his approach. It's what's so infuriating when you're in this school system as somebody who is not far left. That's right. And he talks about that subtle. This is a quote from uh, uh, Jeremy Bowling, he talks about the subtle ways that they put this in the curriculum. That's why we're calling the uh, this the series the secret curriculum. He says, "quote It's so subtle. The teachers I hire will never say, oh, this is a liberal or a democratic way of doing this. They'll just make that the norm, and this is how we handle things. It's subtle. That's how you get away with it." Unquote says Jeremy Bowling. I think you know, another position is why is he hiding this? Why hide? Why, why hide your, your MO if, if there's nothing to be ashamed of? Obviously, there is something to be ashamed of in how they do this. And your point, Megan, is if that was the only thing in the tape, they would be, they would be defending this man. It was, mm -hmm. the, it was the discrimination that brought, that brought the people together, both in New York City and in Connecticut, because the second official at the, 
at the private school in New York City has also been put on leave as a result of our investigation. Good, good. The one who wants Dexter, a serial killer, Correct. to come in and yes. take out all the white boys. Yeah, she's definitely going to be suspended and fired. Or I will personally take my little placard and go march in front of Trinity School, which I know exactly where it is. It's very close to where we used to live. Um, and it's considered truly one of the best, if not the best private school in the country on a lot of these U.S. news and world whatever lists I was saying yesterday, Katie Couric sent her girls there. All sorts of celebs have gone there uh, and it, it's co-ed. It's 60 grand a year. It, we know that it's left, but the same as our schools and we weren't at Trinity, but the same as our schools. You go to these schools understanding as a New Yorker. Yes, they're left. You're in New York City. Hello. But you don't necessarily understand it's this far gone and this deeply ideologically opposed to just opposing viewpoints that not not even just like, OK, yeah, let's make somebody conservative. She's talking about how she just won't allow a Republican or a conservative to come on Trinity's campus, how she's fought back and how even the head of school agreed with her saying, you're right, this is not a time for both sides. That's right. I mean, this is the tape released. Trinity put out a statement, by the way, which I have in front of me. Um, regrettably, Trinity School, uh, this is the director of student activities. They're not low-level people, Megan. This is an assistant principal tasked with all hiring. A director of student activities, Jin Norris, uh, has become focus of media attention as a result of video recordings made without her knowledge. Circumstances surrounding the recordings are deeply disturbing. We were profoundly troubled by the reprehensible way Ms. Norris and our school were targeted. Oh. That's the new language. I'm targeting these people by interviewing them and asking them questions. It's incredible. That's what the they find profoundly troubling. That's their this lead. To, Deeply concerned semantics. and profoundly troubled by you, not her. By, by, by the fact that I was, quote, targeting. Again, journalists interview people and ask them questions. This is not targeting. This is the job of a reporter. But I'm, let's go with the statement. We are treating this matter with the utmost seriousness. Importantly, the sentiments expressed in the video do not reflect the mission of the school. So they always say the sentiments reflected in the video do not reflect you know, who we are and what we do, but this is what they're on tape doing. So, and and how many times do I have to do this over and over again? Remember when you were a Fox reporter and I did the Acorn story 12 years ago, they said, yeah. this is an isolated incident. I released part two. Well, that's also isolated and three and four and five and six. <laughs> I mean, how many videos do we have to put out? So they put this person on leave and they're, they're retaining an outside lawyer now, Megan, at the Trinity School, which is a very prestigious private school in New York City. Uh, to conduct an independent investigation. So the Attorney General of Connecticut and an outside law firm in New York City investigating this behavior. And what I want to know is who are the names of the people that were discriminated against? So the, it's one million Catholics in Connecticut. Um, who are the people that applied for work at these schools? Yes. And were not hired. And do they have legal recourse as a result of this discrimination that they face? Yes, exactly right. And, and in fact, some of those people need to come forward to you and say, I heard myself being described in that exchange. We're going to get to your latest uh, tape in one second. But mm -hmm. before we do, let's just play for people who haven't heard it. This Trinity School employee high up the totem pole in administration. Um, again, this is the school I was talking about, the private school. The first one was a public elementary school in Connecticut. The second one is a private, well-heeled uh, school in Manhattan. And here is this woman, Jen. Uh, who you just mentioned. Sorry, what was her last? Jennifer Norris. Um, Jennifer Norris. Talking about white boys, SOT 9. It's definitely a school where conservatives would not feel comfortable. Unfortunately, it's the white boys who feel like, very entitled to express their 
opposite opinions yeah. and just push back. Well, there's a huge contingent of them that are just like horrible. Yeah. And you're, are you always going to be horrible? Yeah. Or are you just going to be horrible right now? I don't know. Is there any saving these Republican, like, white guys? He's... I think they need to go. No, I think they're really awful people. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I, I'm afraid of with my white students that are rich. I'm like, do you ever have to deal with this? Because they're so protected by capitalism. It makes me sad. White guys. find some, like, Dexters who are going to, like, go together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wonder how many, like... Yeah. Oh no. Okay. So she makes clear uh, that she can't stand uh, the, that the white kids are horrible, and that there's no saving them. Right? He said, "Is there any saving these Republican white guys?" Her answer is, "I think they need to go. They're really awful people." So okay, even if you want to say it's fine for her to joke about getting a serial killer to murder your child in her school, which I'm just going to go ahead and say on behalf of every sane person, that's not okay. Not in jest, not in any context. Um, she's already on record a moment before that saying the the Republican white kids guys need to go. They're really awful people. You know, it needs to go. You, Jennifer, you, you need to leave public education, private education, education of all sorts. And I'm sure somebody at the Democratic National Committee will be all too quick to hire you. I mean, yes, but also, I mean, would, would people prefer that we not have exposed this? The statement by Trinity School, this is a profoundly difficult moment. Ms. Norris and our school were targeted, troubled by the represent, reprehensible way they were targeted, uh, Megan, and, and also this quote about vigilante journalism in the state of Connecticut. Would these people have preferred? I mean, Trinity School should be thanking Project Veritas, right? Yeah, they put this that's exactly on leave right. For a reason. You are so they, right. They put her on leave. So I guess we're doing the job. I mean, they say in the statement also, Megan, this is a long statement released by John Allman, head of school president of the board of trustees david perez um we are we are um uh we believe in love respect and inclusion and our community stands for and strives to look these ideals that is not an inclusive uh loving statement that the white boys need to go and we need to target people like a serial killer obviously she's she's joking there but it's indicative of a culture and a and, a, and an ethos of, of the learning mentality at that school so my position is that the attorney general and the board of trustees of Trinity, attorney general of, of Connecticut, the board of trustees should be thanking Project Veritas because but not for what we exposed. Yeah. Those people would still be educating your children. What? Think about it this way. Think about it. If, if Jennifer Norris had said. Um, unfortunately, it's the black boys who feel very entitled to express their opposite opinions and push back. There's a huge contingent of them that are just like horrible. And you're like, you always going to be horrible. Or you're just going to be horrible right now. The question, is there any saving these change it? Uh, Democrat black guys? I don't know. I think they need to go. They're really awful people. That's what I'm afraid of with my black students that are poor. I'm like, do you ever have to deal with these problems? They're so protected. It makes me sad. We need to find some like Dexter, <laughs> sort of like a vigilante to take people out, in particular, the black boys. She would be fired within two seconds of your videotape hitting air. The fact that these kids are white and boys has somehow shielded her from immediate termination. Um, and it's wrong. It's like this. As soon as I got 
wind of the fact that this is how my school was effectively looking at my boys. And just again, for people who don't know, but the the final straw was I found out that they wanted it to be mandatory reading amongst the faculty. They were circulating this piece by some academic professor at another institution in which this person argued that in every classroom where white children learn, there is a future killer cop. And they wanted my six-year-old's first grade teacher to be aware of what they considered this fact, that I guess in my six-year-old boy's classroom, there was a future killer cop. And I thought to myself, oh, who, who is it my boy? Is it my sweet Thatcher? Is it, it is, is it his little buddies who he hangs out with and does four square with and plays baseball with? Are those the future killer cops? Show me which one is it? How should the teacher be treating them? But that's the ideology. This is how they're looking. She's looking at these white kids who probably haven't said anything to her walking down the hall thinking, we need a vigilante. You're horrible. You need to go. There's no saving you. She has to be fired or I'm literally getting a placard and marching in front of Trinity I'm, myself. I'm I, will to, do I think there is a protest, Megan, in front of Trinity today. I, I think there there are people there. And and I love your indignation and your passion and your righteous indignation is is uh, reminds me of a lot of the mothers that are reaching out to us. We've had thousands of mothers reach out to Project Veritas. I appreciate your passion. And, and you don't mess with a with a with someone's children. You just don't That's do that. Right. And, and it's it's wrong. It's un-American. That's it, James. That's it. Can I just say one thing? That's what makes this very different from anything else that you've done, with the exception of the thing you started with, another case. But we're talking about kids. I don't care if you don't like James's tactics or not or not. Whatever. You're entitled to your opinion if you have objections to the way James goes about this. But these people have access to minors, to, to very young children and are shaping their minds, their education, their curriculum, their future experience. They're minors. And the parents in many instances have no idea that these educators aren't just left or liberal, but hate, hate white kids, white boys, conservative leaning families and so on. And without James O'Keefe, you'd still have the thought bubble of maybe it's probably not that bad. What's the big deal? Thanks to him, you can see for yourself the parents at Trinity, the parents at Cos Cobb Elementary, and we'll get to the latest school in New York City now have proof positive about what they think about your child. And if you think your kid's safe because he's liberal, think again, because the white boys are what she found so objectionable. That's right. And another school released. This is a this is released yesterday. This is New York City um, assistant principal. This is a a Todd Soper is his grade K through four assistant principal. Wait, wait, let me let me pause you there. Let me pause you there, James, because I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do Soper uh, Soper and we'll do your um, your bit with him. All right. So stand by more with James O'Keefe ahead. We're going to show you the confrontation with that school administrator. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. All right, before we do Todd Soper, let's finish up with Jennifer Norris from Trinity because you also had the moment where you confronted her 
on what she had just said on camera, the white boys, the Dexter serial killer, all of it. And it went on. I mean, she'd really just go check out all the tapes at Project Veritas uh, website. But here's James confronting uh, Ms. Norris. Hi. Is this seat taken? Yes. Okay. By whom? Uh, that person works for me. Um, my name is James O'Keefe. I'm with Project Veritas. And you are on the hidden camera speaking to our undercover journalist. Um, that's the man that was uh, meeting with you. And you're on tape, you work for a Trinity School, right? You're the, the director of student activities. And you're on tape and you're saying, I don't hide how I feel, but I can't pretend I'm not promoting an agenda. You're recorded making all these statements, even though I clearly am promoting an agenda with all the stuff I'm doing. What agenda are you promoting? I have no idea what this is. Well, you're, it's, it's, a, it's an undercover investigation by Project Veritas. You're, you work at Trinity School, you've been caught on camera. You're literally on camera. White boys feel very entitled to express their opinions. She's walked into the dentist's office here, hiding from Project Veritas, obviously. Last time they ducked into the pharmacy. This time they ducked into the dentist's office, perhaps to get a root canal. <laughs> oh, they put the blinds down. Democracy <laughs> literally died in darkness here. Yeah, it's pretty funny. The moments, they, these, these confrontations, the funny things that happen, they always hide and they always run, by the way. And sometimes they sprint, Megan. Uh, they'll run as fast as they can. How bad must it be when there's literally nothing you can say that won't make it worse? <laughs> right, right. I mean, think about it. Like, why not just spare one moment to say, you know what? I shouldn't. You're right. I shouldn't have said that. Like, that was stupid. I, I was think on, that's the I fault I was on a date. Right. Like I thought I was country. on a date. I was loose talk and I had a drink and I I that sounds moronic now that you call it to my attention. She would have been so much better served if she had said that. I think that's actually the dividing lines in this country. It's not so much left and right. It's just like, do you believe in light or do you believe in darkness? Do you believe in transparency or do you believe in cover ups? And that's really what it's about. And and the fact that I'm litigating this in the media itself, Megan, I mean, this is so existential that, I mean, people think of Veritas, they think of doctored tapes and false pretenses and all the, I mean, the fact the media is, is not on my side on this gives me pause. This is a First Amendment crusade to bring transparency in our institutions. And she, she runs into a dentist office across the street from this restaurant and the people in the dentist office close the blinds so that the journalist, I mean, and the first case, the police officers escort the assistant principal to the vehicle. It's like almost like an exercise in power. Let's exercise our power over the journalist and hide the information from people. And they this would never, ever, what, ever do this what if you the do New York Times history. or CNN showed up. No, and what you do has a long history in journalism. This is not, you didn't invent this. Um, John Stossel, my pal, used to do this for years for 2020 at ABC, these uh, undercover investigations. And, um, oh God, I'm forgetting his buddy's name, Arnie. Uh, oh, like, forgive me, it'll come to me. Um, but anyway, consumer reporters have been doing this for years on companies that are taking advantage of consumers in one way, shape or form. At Fox, we use Douglas Kennedy who would go in there and confront people who were taking advantage of young women or, you know, had some sort of not so cool operation um, that needed to be exposed behind the scenes. And the only way to do it was with a hidden camera. So this is not new. You're just what's new about you is you're taking a look at individuals and organizations that are beloved on the left. And that's what gets you in trouble. That's why they don't like it. Right.
Yes, indeed. And there's but there's more to come with these tapes. Uh, we don't stop Arnold at Project Diaz. Veritas. Arnold Diaz. Shame on you. Sorry. Arnold He's Diaz. a friend, too. I shouldn't have forgotten that. Keep going. Yes. And I think it was the litigation, Megan, that caused the demise of this, the lawsuits, because ABC primetime was sued in the 90s. Mike Wallace, 60 Minutes, was sued a number of times. Veritas, as you may or may not know, your audience may remember, we don't settle lawsuits. We litigate all the way to to directed verdict. In fact, we have a trial coming up next week in Washington, D.C. I'm a defendant in a civil trial. I was sued for undercover reporting on Bob Creamer and Democracy Partners, which was a story you covered in the 2016 election live on the air with uh, you, you interviewed Do- Donna Brazil, in fact, and yeah. talked to her about Bob Creamer. He sued me. We're going to a trial because at Project Veritas, we, we refuse to settle these lawsuits. We've never lost. But you're, you're right that they've done this in the past. Um, and uh, she was caught. You saw her on the street there, ran away from me, ran into the dentist office, closed the blinds. It would make a lot more sense for them to say, I said what I said. It doesn't look good. I'm taking responsibility for what I said. Yes, yes. It was like it was a dumbass move. I don't you know, like whatever. I mean, I think most people can understand. I had a few drinks. I was on a date. That was, you know, yeah, I got to reevaluate the way I speak about this important group of people who are minors to whom I have daily access and whatever, something to show some humility about the moronic things you've just done and said. What about the the notion that, you know, the guy in the fifth column, he was very funny. My, um, uh, Moynihan yesterday was saying, Michael Moynihan was saying, he goes, I'd really like it to be a two camera shoot because I, I could be across if, if she's from ISIS, if she's hot enough, <laughs> I'd kind of say like, yeah, sure. They had a rough time, but at least they were really solid in their moral principle. (laughs) And what type of person brags to a hot chick about all the people he's discriminating against? (laughs) There's an element of, I mean, I've heard that used as an excuse, but two, I have two responses. A, what type of, what type of guy brags to a hot girl that he's discriminating against people based upon their age when hiring in a public school? That's, that's, that's a bizarre, strange, narcissistic thing to do and, and it's evidence of other problems with their person. Perhaps they shouldn't be an assistant principal if that person behaves in such a manner. Perhaps that person shouldn't have authority over your children if that person brags to a hot chick about all the people they're discriminating against. But moreover, they're doing this in a public place. They know that they're being spoken to. We don't bug these people. We don't wiretap them. We don't entrap yeah. them, to your point. point. We don't make them say these things that they say. Um, so the, the criticisms sort of melt under scrutiny. Okay. The, the attacks move on, on us Todd don't, don't carry weight. Todd Soper is um, with the Department of Ed in New York City, helps run the charter school system. Yes, he's a grade K through four assistant principal at neighborhood charter schools. So now we've covered public schools and education, private schools in New York City, Trinity, and now charter schools, which do receive public funds. And he says, quote, we have very specific questions. Uh, when we hire people, uh, he says, and ultimately our diversity, equity, inclusion program question is very telling. If somebody has done a lot of work within themselves, within the profession, if people don't answer this question right, well, we do not hire them, which yeah. is another example of this sort of discrimination based upon creed, based upon ideology that Soper gets into in the, into this tape. Okay, so you have, uh, we, we'll play that one, and then I want to play the, the next one too, because then he also says, and you'll be fired. If you manage to get past the screening process and it turns out you don't share my worldview, here's the first soundbite that uh, James just referenced. What would you do that as a principal if you knew there was a conservative applying? Would you hire such a person? Yeah. We have like, very specific questions and like ultimately like our diversity, equity, inclusion question, like our DEI question is yeah. like it's very telling 
if somebody has like done a lot of work yeah. with, within themselves, within the profession. Uh, but even conservative, like even well, And it comes out, like if people don't answer the, that question right, yeah. they're just an automatic not. Like what, them. give me an example of not answering that question. Like what, what are the words? They doing? say that like diversity is about if they say something that lends itself to be colorblind, yeah. which could happen like, oh, it's like, you know, like everyone is equal. Like those things that are well-intentioned statements, but they're missing the depth of understanding yeah. of how like, the intersections of our identity um, live out in the world. It's like that person. Right now. Yeah. So like Dr. Carol Swain, who's a person of color, extremely accomplished, Dr. Uh, Glenn Lowry uh, of Brown and Harvard. So like those people could not get hired by this moron because they don't see color in exactly the way this guy does. Yeah. Another example of discrimination, another example of what we've seen uh, the the isolated incident does not appear to be so isolated. I'm I'm sure maybe the majority of people think this way. Uh, uh, by the way, Megan, we've reached out to the school. We received a, a comment this morning that this person is indeed still employed at the school, but we've seen that before. And then there's outcries from parents and then they are let go. So a lot of times it's the national outrage, uh, that the statewide outrage that, that forces, uh, uh, them to leave the school. Here's the one about where he gets specific about kind of making it in, in, intolerable for this one professor, this one teacher who then left. This woman needs to come forward. She needs to contact James O'Keefe or me, and I'll put you in touch with James. Um, here it is. Listen, sound like two. There, maybe there's this one teacher who almost like refused to talk about Juneteenth a few years ago and didn't want to like teach a lesson. Like in addition to their neurodiversity and their special needs, like our students' lives matter based on yeah. the color of their skin. Yeah. Um, and how that intertwines into the context of the world. Yeah. And so if you're not willing to embrace fully that aspect of our students, and that means talking openly about race and talking about injustices in the world, then I don't know if you're going to be able to like fully like fulfill your responsibilities. What was her, what was her reasoning she, for being she resistant? Wanna, she didn't want to teach Black Lives Matter. I don't think she thinks that the race is a big deal. Oh, okay. So she was just kind of like, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I love kids, so it's fine. I'm like, well, no, like, you have to love all of them. And so you have to acknowledge that there is the potential for the person to experience discrimination. Yeah. And was she fired? Or? No, she left. She would have probably been fired eventually, just yeah. based off of, like, mindset. But, yeah, she left. Hmm. We need to find that woman. Uh, because she, it sounds like she was effectively terminated. You can make a case, what, you know, if they make it so intolerable, you can't work there. Uh, but it's because she said, I love kids and I really don't think race is a big deal. And his message was, no, our student lives matter based on the color of their skin. And if you're not willing to fully embrace that, you're not going to last long under You'll him. be fired if you don't. This is interesting. You'll be fired if you don't do do the things that these people we caught on tape are doing. It, yeah. and these people are being let go for what they're saying. But they're saying the school has this position. So, yeah, Megan, it's Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com or you could just send it to Megan and she'll forward it to me. But if you're a teacher who has been discriminated against at Trinity 
or this uh, charter school, neighborhood charter schools, or in Cos Cobb. Uh, were you over the age of 30 or were you Catholic and you applied to work there in the last decade? Reach out to us. You might have a civil rights complaint Say against again, these schools. Say the email. Uh, Veritas Tips, that's V-E-R-I-T-A-S Tips at protonmail.com. We've had thousands of people message us following up uh, Connecticut leads. We'll, we'll have more coming out shortly. But if you're a teacher who is discriminated against, we want to hear from you. If you have any tips about fraud or abuse in your school system anywhere in the country, we have a team of 30 undercover reporters that we dispatch every day to go ferret this stuff out. Mm, thank God. Thank God. And you should contact James because he won't bury it like most of these other media sites, which suddenly lose interest. Before I let you go, let me ask you quickly. Last time you were on, we had you on. We had Harmeet Dillon, your lawyer. We talked a little bit about the Ashley Biden diary and the feds raiding you. Since then, two people have pleaded guilty to stealing that diary, Ashley Biden's, which you never had anything to do with. You said you they, people came to you and said, we have it. Now they've pleaded guilty to stealing it. You never published it. But do you think the FBI is trying to close in on you? Because normally they don't cut a deal with somebody like the thieves if they're not looking more strongly at somebody else. Well, I can't imagine that the attorney general of the United States, Merrick Garland, would authorize a prosecution of journalists engage in lawful, protected First Amendment news gathering. <laughs> and the media should, um, uh, if he does, the First Amendment and a free press are dead. I mean, perhaps journalism has already been changed forever when they raided my home, uh, which they were not allowed to do based upon the Privacy Protection Act and various laws and regulations in the attorney general's office. So um, this might be the DOJ and FBI trying to criminalize journalism and attacking responsible journalists. But my journalists uh, did nothing wrong. They broke no laws. And everything they did was routinely protected, commonplace First Amendment journalism, Megan. The only way you get in trouble as a journalist is if you participate in the underlying crime. But if you just take the fruits of that crime and put them in a newspaper or put them on the air, you're in a safe, protected category. That's how The New York Times get, gets away with publishing Trump's tax returns. That's how we had the Pentagon Papers, all these things. It's like as long as the journalist doesn't actually participate in the underlying crime, which as far as I can tell, nobody's even alleged, um, the, the feds are supposed to leave you alone. James, much, much more to come, I'm sure. We'll look forward to the follow up. And uh, he's got another video coming on Friday. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All the best to you. Thank you, Megan. And in just a moment here, Larry Elder is coming up. I'm sure he'll have some thoughts about what we just discussed. And we'll talk about his new movie, Uncle Tom 2. And since it's our one year anniversary on Sirius, don't forget, you can listen to The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Uh, you can check out the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, follow and download on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts for free. There you will find our full archives with more than 385 shows. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. 
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. The sage from South Central, Larry Elder, joins us now to talk the latest uh, controversy with BLM, Hillary Clinton's continued hypocrisy on stolen elections. She's like, who? Me? I never. What? And the real reason God gave us two arms, according to a White House COVID advisor. And most importantly, we're going to discuss Larry's new must see movie, Uncle Tom 2. It's spectacular spectacular okay welcome back to the show larry so great to see you you too megan thank you for having me i appreciate it all right let's get to a little news before we get to the movie which i absolutely loved and everybody's got to download it uh go to UncleTom.com, right UncleTom.com. it's it's at the old the first okay uh UncleTom.com. so first of all black lives matter continues to disintegrate uh, in terms of its credibility and trustworthiness. A couple of months ago, there was the article broke that um, Patrice Cullors, who is BLM co-founder, admitted to using six million dollar mansion for parties and so on after denying it. She was, you know, having her son's birthday party there, all sorts of things. She was forced to basically step down and she handpicked her successor, this guy, Shalamaya Bowers who I want to correct myself, was not her ex-husband from the look of it or her current husband, but somebody who'd been advising her for a couple of years. So she gets in trouble and she says, all right, Bowers is going to take over BLM. Fear not. I got, you know, new sheriff in town. Don't don't diss the organization for my misuse of funds and so on. Well, now we have 26 BLM chapters accusing this guy, Bowers, of unjustly enriching himself, specifically stealing $10 million in charitable contributions for personal expenditures. He denies that he's done it. Um, he's suggesting that the BLM grassroots network um, is complicit in systemic racism against him <laughs> because they sued him. <laughs> Larry, you can't make it up. You can't make it up. So yet again, up. we have another BLM scandal that will get swept under the rug as these big corporations continue to funnel money out to it to make themselves feel better. You know, Megan, and when uh, Patrice Cullors was accused of not filing documents on time, she also whipped out the, both the gender and the race card and said she was, quote unquote, triggered by the idea that she has to do all these filings. What do I know about filings? I've never run a nonprofit before. What do I know about filings? Look, uh, Megan, the bottom line is this organization was birthed in fraud. It started because of the death of Trayvon Martin. And you recall George Zimmerman, who shot and killed Trayvon Martin, was found not guilty. The jury did not have any blacks on it, but there was a black alternate. And the alternate said he would have found him not guilty as well, and that race never came up. He got a lot of juice because of the death of Michael Brown and Ferguson. You also found out, of course, that was fraudulent. He did not have his hands up, did not say don't shoot. Uh, and um, uh, the uh, officer was completely exonerated. And then, of course, the death of George Floyd also gave it a lot of energy. Uh, and however you feel about the verdict of, uh, of, uh, of Derek Chauvin, and I think it was a just verdict, there's zero evidence that Derek Chauvin was motivated because George Floyd is black. In fact, the lead prosecutor, uh, a black man, 
uh, took pains in his opening statement to say not all cops are on trial, not all Minneapolis cops are on trial, this individual is on trial uh, for uh, the murder of, uh, of George Floyd. And there were four cops that day. Two of them were white, including Chauvin, of course, but one of them was Mong. The other one had a father from Nigeria. So uh, the whole thing then triggered four months of riots, 25 people killed, at least 2,000 officers injured, at least $2 billion in, in damages, at least because that's insured damage. That doesn't count the non-insured damage. So all of this is banned by Black Lives Matter, uh, whose co-founders, by the way, are trained Marxists. Marxists do not believe in God, do not believe in ownership of private property, let alone owning four or five mansions, which is what uh, Patrice Cullors owns. The whole thing is a complete and total insult and a fraud. Mm. And yet, you know, in our first hour, we had James O'Keefe on, who's been doing these undercover videos of school administrators and teachers. And the latest guy is on camera basically saying you have to believe in Black Lives Matter. You have to believe that uh, skin color determines whether your life matters is essentially what he said, uh, or you're not getting hired there. And if you don't want to teach Juneteenth and make race a factor in your teaching, you're you're going to be fired. That's what he said. I mean, they're still like pushing this on our kids like BLM is trustworthy and real and the principles must be adopted. You know, one of the things that I cover in the documentary we're going to talk about later on is how black people were able to survive and grow and keep moving forward right after slavery, despite horrific obstacles, despite the Klan, despite lynchings, despite Jim Crow. Why? Because of a belief in family. Uh, 1910, 1920, in many cities, a black kid was more likely to enter the world with a father married to his mother than even a white kid. Uh, Also because of belief in American values. You look at speeches by people like Frederick Douglass, they are replete, Megan, with references to American values, even if America was not living up to those values. Uh, Belief in God, Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, Marxists, uh, these people were trained Marxists who founded BLM. Marxists was, of course, an atheist who wanted to dethrone God, uh, and a belief in entrepreneurship. 1940, 87% of Black people live below the federally defined level of poverty. 20 years later, that number had dropped to 40%. A 40-point drop uh, in about uh, 20 years, the greatest period of uh, 20-year period of economic expansion in the history of Black America. This is before the civil rights legislation of the mid-60s, before Brown versus Board of Education, because of belief in all the things that Black Lives Matter does not support. On their website, they even trash the concept of a nuclear intact family as a Western construct. Uh, So the whole thing is insulting and 85% of blacks support Black Lives Matter movement, even though the whole premise is that America remains systemically racist. And that of course is a huge lie. Barack Obama got a higher percentage of the white vote uh, than John Kerry did four years earlier. And this notion that Donald Trump sent a racist dog whistle in order to get white races to vote for him can be refuted by a couple of things. Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, won 700 of the same counties. Uh, In 2016, four years later, 200 of those counties voted for Donald Trump. So were they not racist 2008, 2012, but suddenly became Mm. racist? And here's another factoid. The city of over 100,000, Megan, that most voted for Donald Trump was Abilene, Texas. He got about 85% of the vote. The city is about 140 years old. Guess which city voted for its first black mayor within a few months uh, that it voted for Donald Trump for president by an overwhelming margin? Abilene, Texas. So Abilene, Texas, 
therefore it's the most racist uh, city in the in the country since they most voted for Donald Trump, then turns around and votes for a black man for its mayor. Give me a break. And uh, Chris Wallace, who was a longtime host on MSNB Hee that's what I call it. And I know you know who he is. He's a left wing, left wing guy. He used to be the uh, press book, press secretary for Tip O'Neill, the longtime Democrat speaker of the House. And Chris wrote a book called uh, Hardball. His left wing bonafides cannot Chris be Matthews. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Chris Matthews. His left wing bonafides cannot be challenged. He once said publicly on MSNBC that most white people, quote, would not vote for somebody if they thought they were racist, close quote. So here is Chris Matthews admitting that most white people would never vote for somebody if they thought he was racist. So why would it be in Donald Trump's best interest to, quote, send a racist dog whistle uh, to white people to have them vote for him because uh, he'll advance their racist agenda? The whole thing is asinine. And racism has never been a less significant problem in American life. Uh, you know, there are think tanks on the left like Brookings and think tanks on the right like American Enterprise Institute, and they disagree about all sorts of things, but they agree about the formula to escape poverty. Finish high school. One, presumably where you can read, write, and compute at grade level. Number two, don't have a kid before you're 20. Number three, get married before you have the kid. Uh, number four, get a job, keep the job. Even if it's a minimum wage job, don't quit that job till you get another job. And number five, avoid the criminal justice system. You do that, you will not be poor. And the idea that America is systemically racist when you have a whole bunch of Haitians lining up to get here, just for a shot to get to get in America. And I have a clip in my documentary by a pastor named Vody Bakum. And he says, there's no country in the world where a black person would rather be unless, of course, that black person was born here in America. <laughs> now, tell it to Bank of America, because they're doing right now sort of at the mortgage level what we're doing at the federal level in just making things easier because we feel bad about our prior history because the federal student loan thing now you've got a lot of activists coming out and saying this is in particularly important for for black and brown people and you got bank of america that's now um making it easier for blacks to get mortgages because they've got a bad history in this department, right. as a lot of the banks do. And I mm -hmm. understand a lot of people are like, good, you know what? They don't they haven't gone far enough. They need to make it easier for families applying for mortgages, black families in particular, to get mortgages. Uh. But I've read enough Shelby Steele, Larry, listened to enough Larry Elder, read enough Thomas Sowell to know that within the black intellectual community that writes about this stuff a lot, this is extremely controversial. We've seen this movie before. A young attorney in private practice named Barack Obama joined with other lawyers to file a class action lawsuit in the 90s on behalf of 186 uh, black people who applied for mortgages at Citigroup and were turned down and claimed they were turned down because of racism. Citigroup settled and said, OK, I gave, gave them the mortgage. Fast forward, only a handful of them were able to maintain the houses with clean credit. Several of them filed for bankruptcy. Two of them even said, Megan, you know what? You ought not lend someone, something, somebody money when they're not creditworthy, which shows you that they were turned down because they were not creditworthy. The same thing's going to happen here. You uh, you throw out the, uh, the normal criteria to give somebody some money, criteria which is built up over hundreds of years to determine whether or not somebody can pay back a loan, and they are not going to be able to pay back that loan. And when there's a recession, and there always are recessions, they're going to lose everything, including all the money they put into the house. So it's going to backfire, just as race-based preferences backfire when you lower standards to admit people into college. They can't keep up. There's a much higher rate of Black people dropping out who were admitted with, with dramatically lower standards. It's condescending, and it will it will end up hurting the very people that the uh, that Bank of America wants to help. Hmm.
I mentioned the student loan thing. Um, that's that's another. There's a, there's a New York Times guest opinion piece out um, that talks about how the mass cancellation of federal student loans will not only remove a crushing economic weight for tens of millions of people, but it will lift a significant emotional weight as well. And it talks about how. Even the seemingly innocuous phase loan forgiveness implies culpability and blame when in reality, the majority of debtors are simply struggling to make ends meet. These are people who might be making as much as two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars a year. Married couple, a problem. And by the way, they have law degrees. They have medical school degrees. They have advanced degrees. I'm like, okay, pardon me if I'm not getting out my little violin. Then the, the author goes on to say this is Astra Taylor goes on to say this is a problem likely to be most acute for black and brown people who tend to lack family wealth and access to credit on fair terms. You don't say. So this person, Ostra Taylor, would like us to know that black people don't have family wealth and they don't have access to credit on fair terms. And that is yet another reason to justify Joe Biden's student loan, quote, forgiveness program. Yeah. You know, where where do you start with this? Uh, You can't even say forgiveness anymore because that hurts people's feelings. That's like calling illegal aliens illegal aliens. You can't do that anymore. You can't call homeless people out here in California homeless. You have to call them unhoused. The bottom line is (laughs) the majority of those who are going to have these loans forgiven are making at or will soon make above the national average. They're the most capable of paying off the loans. And, you know, the, 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 the coup de grace is when Lawrence Tribe, the longtime Harvard professor, tweeted, thank goodness. Now, many of my students will be able to have the burden lifted from them. Harvard (laughs) Law students need to have the burden lifted from them. It's insulting to all the people who went to college and paid off their loans. It's insulting to all the people who never went to college. It will be inflationary. It will increase the national debt and will increase the deficit. Uh, The whole thing is, is, you know, you take out a loan, you pay it back. Nobody put a gun to the head of any of these people. And by the way, uh, I still have a mortgage. Uh, does, does my mortgage identify as a student loan? Uh, you know, the way people <laughs> identify as a male. I think my mortgage identifies as a student loan, Megan, and maybe you ought to get a, do a break for Larry Elder as well. It, again, not? it's insulting. You're, you're, but you're not black. You're a white supremacist, yeah, as you know. So you're not. You're <laughs> no, not no, the, no, get it right, Megan. I'm the black face of white supremacy. Oh, okay. I worked hard for the title. I worked hard maybe for the back door then for you. You might, you might still be in the running. <laughs> It's so crazy. And I love like just the just, you know, so blacks tend to lack family wealth. So they need. So first of all, I don't have any family wealth. I had no family wealth when I went to law school. But, you know, like most of my black colleagues, I took out loans and then I paid them back, which I was able to do because I was a lawyer. (laughs) Just the presumption that the absence of a history of family dough means you as a black person aren't going to be able to repay your loans seems inherently racist to me. But of course, the left gets away with their racism. Well, the uh, the average Nigerian American has a higher net worth than the average white American. Uh, And if America is systemically racist, how do you explain that? There are all sorts of reasons why black people, quote, lack generational wealth. Uh, And um, some of it has to do with with spending habits and saving habits. You look at a black person making 100 grand and compare that black person to a white person making 100 grand. The white person more likely to have money in the stock market, uh, less likely to spend money on 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 this, on, on perishable items uh, like 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 shoes and like clothing. Uh, and you look at the average Asian applicant for a loan. The average Asian applicant will have his or her loan approved at a higher rate than the average white person. Why? Asians live well below their 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 means uh, because they are demons on saving money. So a lot of it has to do with behavior. And even if it didn't, 
Uh, is it everybody else's job to make black people's net worth increase? Hmm. All right, let's move on to Hillary Clinton because she's in the news today and I've been dying to discuss this with you. So Hillary Clinton is now pretending like she did not call Donald Trump an illegitimate president when he beat her in 2016. She's expressing her horror and how indignant she is over him challenging the 2020 election results. And okay, that's fine. You can say you don't like how Trump behaved after, you know, whatever his loss, January 6th, the whole bit. But you cannot, if you are Hillary Clinton, play the who would ever challenge an election result card. You're the one person who should really be quiet. You and Stacey Abrams should be deafeningly quiet on that issue. But she didn't get the memo because here she was on CBS the other night. Uh, Soundbite 12. What's your takeaway about the January 6th committee and Donald Trump's actions? I would not be honest if I didn't say I think there was a seditious conspiracy against the government of the United States. And that's a crime. Led by Donald Trump. Led by Donald Trump, encouraged by Donald Trump. You know, I was the secretary of state. I spent, you know, many days on airplanes flying from place to place, encouraging people uh, to have a real democracy. And one of the hallmarks of a real democracy is the peaceful transfer of power. Um, Was I happy when I beat Donald Trump by nearly three million votes, but lost the Electoral College? No, I was not happy. Did I even for a nanosecond think I'm going to claim victory and try to get the Democrats to refuse to certify the election? No. Okay. She did not beat Donald Uh, Trump. Honestly. (laughs) She she well knows. Go ahead, Larry. She, she, She joined the lawsuit that Jill Stein filed to overturn the results in Wisconsin, and Hillary filed a separate separate motion to have the recount conducted by hand. As you pointed out, for the entirety of President Trump's presidency, she referred to him as illegitimate over and over and over again in speeches, in book signings, on television appearances, and she referred to the election of 2016 as stolen. To what effect? Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, testified under oath that while the Russians tried mightily, they failed to change a single vote tally in 2016. They tried, failed to change a single one. A YouGov poll 2018 found that 66% of Democrats, a supermajority of Democrats, believe the Russians, quote, changed vote tallies, close quote, in order to elect Donald Trump. The second major finding of the 1,000-page intelligence report on the 2016 election was that we don't know whether or not the Russian interference altered the outcome of the election or altered public opinion. Obviously, there was interference. Jay Johnson testified that we have no idea what effect it had. Gallup poll, 2018, uh, Megan, 78% of Democrats believe the Russian interference, quote, altered the outcome of the election. In other words, a greater percentage of Democrats believe 2016 was stolen. The Republicans who feel the same way. Benny Thompson is the chair of the January 6th committee. January 2005, he joined 30 other Democrats to decertify the election in Ohio. Had that been successful, uh, George W. Bush would not have been uh, reelected. He he argued, as did the Democrats, that the default election machines that were used were rigged in order to elect George W. Bush. No evidence whatsoever that the the default voting machines were rigged, yet Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th committee, made that argument. And you write about Stacey Abrams, she still claims that she got ripped off uh, in 2018. Al Gore still believes he won the election in 2000. So Democrat after Democrat after Democrat over the years, including Maxine Waters uh, and Senator Barbara Boxer of California, have argued that elections were stolen. Nobody accuses them of undermining our republic. Nobody accuses them of engaging in some sort 
sort of insurrection against the government. It's insulting. And for Hillary with a straight face to make the argument she just now did uh, is almost jaw dropping. Even for even for her, that's pretty shameless. Even for her. Here's just a couple of examples. You said it. She indeed did say illegitimate president repeatedly. Here's just one example. Sot 13. First, um, I do think that he knows uh, that uh, he's an illegitimate president. So that was 2019. She's still saying it three years into his presidency. Sot 14 uh, goes on to say the election was stolen from her, which is pretty damn close to. Did I ever say I'm going to claim victory? If you're saying it's (laughs) stolen from you, pretty much the same thing as saying you won. Here she is. I think it's also critical to understand that as I've been telling candidates who have come to see me, you can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee and you can have the election stolen from you. Yeah. So she's on on tape. She should take a seat. Of course. And uh, I'll tell you somebody else who said that the election was uh, was rigged by the Russians. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter said it in 2019, the former president of the United States. Uh, And uh, John Lewis, the respected member, longtime member of the House, uh, referred to uh, Donald Trump as illegitimate, uh, refused to attend his inaugural, as did 25 percent of the Democratic congressional delegation. And the pushback on Hillary is that, well, Hillary conceded Donald Trump didn't. False. They both conceded. Neither of them used the C word. Uh, The second pushback, Mm -hmm. of course, is that Hillary didn't go to court. As I pointed out, she did. And the third pushback is, well, Hillary's supporters did not storm the Capitol on January 6th. That's because Hillary wasn't president on January 6th. But recall in November 2016, when she lost the election, there were four days of protests in the streets of America, 40 different cities, including violent protests. And the third week of January 2017, when Donald Trump was inaugurated, there were 200 people who were arrested in D.C. for violent protests. So the idea that Hillary's supporters would have gone quietly to that good night had the shoe been on the other foot is refuted by those examples. Mm. And they did stand up Democrats at the certification and object to the procedure and say that it was fraudulent in various states. Quite a few Democrats did that, as Ted Cruz, as Josh Hawley did. So they did that, too. Um, You mentioned Jimmy Carter, which brings me to my next point. Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was confronted by Peter Ducey about these tweets that we've all known about because she was such a partisan activist before they could put her in this role. And the reason he chose now, I assume, to confront her on her prior tweets, and I'll get to the punchline in a second, uh, is Dark Brandon, uh, Joe Biden, when he gave his speech last Thursday in front of the Star Wars situation, um, made a point of saying how evil the MAGA Republicans are who refuse to accept the results of an election, how how anti antithetical that is to being an American and unpatriotic and so on, if he refused to accept the results of an American election. And so Peter Ducey, understanding that the woman before him supported Dark Brandon's assertion, decided to bring up her old tweets. And here's how that went. (laughs) Just trying to understand the new attention on the MAGA Republicans. You tweeted in 2016, Trump stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Well, here we go. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results is extreme now. Yeah. So let's let's be really clear that that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have been I have been. Well, you're asking me you're asking me a question. Let me answer it. And you said it's ridiculous. I was. I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. 
Okay, so just a word. That's not true. So she when she goes off of her written notes, apparently she lies. It's not true. She tweeted repeatedly questioning the validity of elections, not just Brian Kemp in Georgia, but Donald Trump at a time in which voting rights were not even being discussed. So that's a lie. What she just said. We went back and looked. Jimmy Carter for the win is what she tweeted. Uh, in June of 19, when Jimmy Carter came out and said a full investigation would show Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He was put into office because the Russians interfered. Does that mean he's an illegitimate president? That was the question to Carter. Carter responded, based on what I just said, I can't retract it. And she tweeted out Jimmy Carter for the win. She was not talking about voting rights. She was talking about Donald Trump being an illegitimate president. Then she comes out. This is hold on. Um, May of 18. Judy Woodruff, journalist, tweets out former director of national intelligence. James Clapper says he has personally concluded the Russians not only influenced, but decided outcome of 2016 election, 80,000 votes in three states. So she's saying Clapper is saying that the Russians decided the outcome of the election. And Corinne Jean-Pierre retweets it with boom, with the big eyes. That's just those are the ones that he didn't even cite to her. She's been much more explicit in other tweets. So she's a liar and just one of the many Democrats who have claimed illegitimacy when it's the Republican who wound up winning. You know, I've been talking about this for years. I, I do videos for Epoch Times and I've been doing videos about this for years. I'm, I'm frankly amazed Peter Ducey waited this long before he brought this obvious point up. This is hypocrisy. This is double standard. This is selective outrage. They've been saying it for years and years and years, and they've gotten a complete and total pass. And regarding uh, the Brian Kemp stolen the election, uh, that's referring to the Stacey Abrams election. A fact checker, left-wing fact checker, said there's no evidence whatsoever that that election was stolen. So John Pierre is lying. And notice how she tried to cut him off. And she said, well, I kept waiting for you to say this, waiting for you to say that. You mean dreading that you were going to bring it up. She feared he was going to bring it up. Uh, and rather than let him allow him to answer, ask his question uh, in a detailed fashion, which would have reminded everybody about what a fraud she is, she tried to cut him off and, and blow him away. But it, uh, it's obvious double standard, obvious hypocrisy. OK, moving on to other White House gaffes. I'm not sure. I don't think we can attribute what she just did to being a gaffe. It was just a lie. Um, now we're going back to school and people are you know, going back to work and everybody's basically getting back to real life at the end of the summer. And our schools, both of them, boys and girls uh, still have a vaccine mandate. Uh, our boys school is going to expel my sons when they hit 16 if they don't get the covid vaccine, even though the CDC is acknowledging that people who are unvaccinated but have had covid should be treated no differently than people who have had the vaccine, which is the case for both of my sons. Uh, but nonetheless, people decide on these rules and they just won't bend. Now you've got the covid advisor to the White House talking about you need to get your covid vaccine. You got to get your booster because this one this is going to do it, Larry. This is the one that's going to save you against Omicron. Trust us. This fifth, seventh, ninth. Well, this is the one. And by the way, you also need to get your flu vaccine. And I've got great news for you. You got two arms. Listen to this guy. <laughs> I really believe this is why God gave us two arms, one for the flu shot and the other one for the COVID shot. <laughs> this is who's running our COVID policy. <laughs> Help me. You know, lo lo logic uh, and following the science, whatever happened to all of that. I'm in California, Megan, and a few months ago, uh, a county called Alameda reimposed the mask mandate. 
the adjacent counties, demographically identical, did not do so. So it gave us an ideal way of determining whether or not the mask mandate was going to have any kind of effect on transmission rates and infection rates. And it turned out it had no effect whatsoever. Fast forward just a few days ago, the Philadelphia uh, school superintendent uh, has reimposed a mask mandate for kids going to school in Philadelphia. Never mind what I just now said about California. And when I ran for governor, I said that young people are not likely to get sick, not likely to get really sick, not likely to hospitalize and certainly not likely to die. And therefore, I don't believe that they ought to be mandated to have the vaccine. I was called anti-vax. I was slammed. Uh, and uh, CNN did a piece on me. Joe Johns, a reporter who's normally a pretty normal guy, interviewed yeah, me for about a half hour. They played a little clip. Uh, I said exactly what I just now said to him, to you. And he said, but that's not true. According to the CDC, yada, blah, et cetera. Well, fast forward, those who signed the so-called Great Barrington Declaration now appear to be uh, right. They were right from the beginning. We should not have had the lockdowns. We should have protected the older people, uh, those who had um, comorbidities. But younger people are highly unlikely to, to have gotten it. Uh, and natural immunity is as good, if not more effective than a vaccine. All of that turned out to be accurate. Yeah, exactly right. That, that's the thing. The latest study is it is more effective. It's actually more effective. Uh, Marty McCary was just on uh, Daily Wire talking about how that's what the latest shows studies show that it's more effective than the vaccine, which we've known. But I mean, this is what the the studies, the most recent studies have shown. And yet we've still got these school districts and it's always Democrats um, refusing to acknowledge the science, even when it's not no longer uh, controversial. It's infuriating to those of us who who want to actually listen to the real science and the real studies and see you know what the risks are as well and do an actual weighing. In any event, okay, much much more to discuss with Larry. I I'm dying to discuss Uncle Tom too. It was moving. It was educational. It gave me so much to think of. I learned a ton. I mean, I had no idea about the guy who's actually behind BLM. Did you? Did you know it's effectively being controlled by a white guy? Uh, we'll talk about that with Larry much, much more next. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Larry Elder of Uncle Tom 2 is with us now. We're going to get into this movie, which you absolutely need to check out. It is well worth your time. You'll enjoy it. You'll learn. Uh, and you'll be entertained in the process because Larry knows how to make things snappy and keep things interesting. And the, the sound bites are amazing. The stuff with Saul Alinsky. I couldn't believe it. All the coverage I've done with Saul Alinsky, I've never heard him on tape. So there's a lot of great stuff that you found in there. But let's just start with this. What 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 is Uncle Tom 2 about in your view? Uncle Tom 2 uh, leaves, uh, picks up where Uncle Tom 1 left off. Uncle Tom 1 was about the black struggle right after slavery. Uh, and Uncle Tom 2 is about what happened to the civil rights movement, that it was has been co-opted, if not kidnapped, by collectivists, by Marxists, by socialists, by those who want to uh, redistribute income to the point now where people like Black Lives Matter are promoting all sorts of things that have nothing whatever to do with civil rights and have corrupted the mission of equal rights and turned it into equal results, which are two very different things. Now, it's about eight minutes in, and I had a moment where I felt uncomfortable. 
because you have it's all black voices commenting on this. But they were saying one gentleman in particular said something like, I'm embarrassed of black culture. And the the movie shows, you know, guys on street corners like the N word this and the N word that and talking about crime. And like it was just you're sort of, you know, you could have find white guys doing this, too, but just sort of low, lowest of the low in society. Clearly are crime and crime inclined and don't seem to be talking in a way that's very nice. But for me, you know, ex- extrapolating that to black culture, I just I, made me feel uncomfortable. Like, well, you can't like. What is that? What is black culture? And how can you look at these guys on the street corner and say that you're embarrassed of, you know, like that somehow reflects on the greater uh, population? But it, but it does, Megan. And that's the whole point. Uh, I know these things are uncomfortable. Uh, one of my close friends is Thomas Sowell. He grew up in East Harlem on the 1940s. He told me in hot summer days, nobody had any air conditioning. Uh, you slept in the street sometimes on park benches. Uh, on your balcony, and nobody had any fear of somebody coming up to them and robbing them. Fast forward now, that is unthinkable. Why? Because so many Black kids now enter the world without a father married to the mother, and there's a direct relationship between that and lawlessness. Barack Obama once said, a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Now, as I mentioned, after slavery, Black people still kept moving forward, largely because they still were raised by nuclear intact families. Even during slavery, a Black child was more likely to be born under a roof with his biological mother and biological father than today. 70% of Black kids today enter the world without a father married to the mother. Uh, and that is because of the welfare state. Back in 1965, that number was 25%. Fast forward, it is now 70%. I believe the welfare state uh, has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivize men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. So you have this kind of pathology that you did not have uh, during times when Blacks were far more destitute. You did not have this urban violence, this Black-on-Black crime, this Black-on-Black murders. These things are relatively new uh, in the Black experience in America. And there are reasons for this. And again, it's because of the, uh, the, the insistence on people like the co-founders of, of uh, the NAACP were white socialists, and they used the black man, W.E.B. E. Du Bois, uh, as a front man. Uh, and you pointed out uh, about Patrice Cullors, the, the co-Marxist who founded Black Lives Matter. Uh, they were trained by a guy named Eric Mann, who was a Marxist, uh, who had all sorts of other kinds of things he wanted to do with the, with the so-called civil rights movement that had nothing whatever to do with civil rights. So black people are now facing obstacles because of the leftists, because of the collectivists, because of the socialists that have taken over the movement that they didn't even face during the worst of the worst of the worst uh, of, uh, of history in, 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 uh, in America. You look at the absence of religion, like the erosion of God and religion in the right. lives of Americans. And th- I mean, this could be said about whites, blacks. I don't know if you could say it about Hispanics. I feel like has, the Hispanic community has stayed more religious. But in any event, you could definitely say about whites and blacks. And that explains a lot. I mean, honestly, like I did not realize that, that was a fundamental principle that was pushed by guys like Alinsky and so on. I mean, Marxism, yes, I, I get that re- religion's opiate of the masses and he wasn't a big fan. But you really lay out how that belief, that Marxist belief was used against us. And that, you know, when you see thugs on the street corner, white or black, nine times out of 10, they don't have religion in their life. And those guys used to be going to church with their families. And now because of an agenda that's been pushed on them by design, they've lost that tether. So who was pushing it by design? Like how? How did people break up the nuclear family, get religion out of the public square, distance us from our churches? 
Well, as Uncle Tom too establishes, this took place very gradually over a period of 100 years, uh, where little by little, uh, uh, communists, uh, socialists, collectivists began to infiltrate themselves uh, into the, uh, the Black struggle. And even MLK, uh, MLK uh, was somebody who wanted to, uh, to redistrib- redistribute income. Uh, he even said that there should be some sort of Marshall Plan uh, after the Civil Rights Movement. Really? Um, and who should be paying for the Marshall Plan? Uh, slavery was pri- primarily a democratic institute with Democrats who owned slaves. Only a handful of slave owners were Republican. Why should they pay for all of this? Uh, beyond that, uh, government didn't own slaves. Individuals owned slaves. So the idea that somehow people who had nothing whatever to do with slavery owe some sort of debt to Black people uh, is something that would have appalled Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington wrote a book called Up From Slavery. This, this was a man who was born a slave. He wrote a book in 1901, a mere 36 years after slavery. If you read the book, Megan, he is more optimistic about the future for Black people than people like Ibram X. Kendi and Patrice Cullors and the and talk show host on MSNBC are right now. And he said, if you learn how to do something well, if a Negro boy learns to cook, to sew, to wash dishes, to practice medicine as well as or better than somebody else, he or she will be rewarded without regard of color. He called that a great human principle. Uh, and he was uh, demeaned by W.B. Du Bois, the face man of the NAACP, who became a communist, was an atheist, was born wealthy, uh, a free man, and attended Harvard. Uh, are there parallels here to today? Absolutely. You go to these elite schools, and you and uh, W.B. Du Bois was an anti-capitalist, and as I mentioned, entrepreneurship was the foundation of the black struggle coming out of slavery, to the point where a lot of black people went to, went to Harlem, bought buildings, and were displacing white people, and the white people were complaining about black gentrification. Uh, and the whole point is that black people still moved ahead. One of the other things that we exposed in Uncle Tom too uh, is the myth of the Tulsa so-called massacre in 1921. We're unclear how many people were killed. There was a race riot to be sure, but the, the shorthand is that a bunch of white people burned down Black Wall Street. Well, Tulsa was completely rebuilt within a few years and the term Black Wall Street didn't become a popular term until after it was rebuilt. There's a commercial that I saw last year during the Super Bowl, a Citigroup commercial where a black guy is talking about how uh, in 1921, a bunch of white races burned down Black Wall Street. What he didn't say was that this area uh, of Tulsa was completely rebuilt within a few years, and the term Black Wall Street was not even popular until after it was rebuilt. The, the bottom line is, uh, the shorthand notion is that Black people were doing okay until a bunch of white people decided to, uh, to trash their success, and then down to the ghetto, we Black people went. It is completely false. It is insulting to the hard work that men and women uh, put in after slavery. Carol Swain, who we both love, uh, she's been on the show, one of my favorite interviews, she talked she's in the piece and she talked about that sort of the absence of religion as it receded from um, many populations, including the, the, the black population and, and talked about the slavery situation, like blacks coming out of slavery. To me, this is interesting. And I'm going to play the soundbite. But it reminded me of what happened uh, to Brett Weinstein on the campus of Evergreen when he was getting screamed at this professor who did nothing wrong. Uh, but the the mob came for him. And one of the students was yelling at him like, I come from slaves. You don't understand anything. I come from slaves as though this woman, you know, yesterday emerged from slavery. And Carol Swain kind of gets there. Here she is in SOT 20. If you look at the Blacks that came out of slavery, they were relatively prosperous, and you did not have the dysfunction and crime that you see taking place today. 
Black people are constantly being told that because of slavery, because of systemic racism, that their anger and their bitterness and their rage is justified. Is it possible that as Black people, we are experiencing a, a PTSD from what they went through 401 years ago? Absolutely, absolutely. Just because we didn't experience it, us learning about the history or even from family stories, it's the same thing. That does not make a lot of sense, given that Blacks coming out of slavery had lives that were more functional. The functionality of Black lives at the turn of the century was because Blacks were deeply religious people. They adhered to strong Judeo-Christian values and principles. And to the extent that they get further and further away from those principles, I think that you see more dysfunction in Black communities because they've lost the anchor. And it was systematically undone. It, with the, Uncle Tom, too, makes the argument that it wasn't an organic distancing from God, from religion, that it was systematically undone, and it's still being systematically undone to this day. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, coming out of slavery, of course, uh, 90 percent of blacks were slaves uh, and they were illiterate within a relatively short period of time. The majority of them were literate today. Today, 85 uh, percent of black eighth graders, according to the national report card, uh, can neither read nor write at uh, grade level proficiency. A substantial number of black 13-year-olds are functionally illiterate. I would argue a greater percentage are functionally illiterate today uh, than decades after slavery. Uh, how can that be? How can that be in an area in an era where we're spending more money than, than ever before, K through 12, more money than almost any industrialized country except for Luxembourg and Switzerland, I think, that 85% of black eighth graders uh, do not read and do math at grade levels of proficiency. It's an outrage, and it's because of the welfare state, because of the way the leftists have taken over education. Uh, and uh, we have this kind of, uh, as uh, Carol Swain puts it, dysfunction. And and, and, um, and, the, the, and, and the beauty is that left-wing people, whether it's uh, Mayor Pete or, mm -hmm. or Joe Biden or uh, Beto O'Rourke, will blame this on endemic, systemic, uh, choose-your-favorite-adjective racism, when, in fact, uh, it's because of policies that have destroyed the family, that have deterred people from Judeo-Christian values, uh, that deterred them from entrepreneurship, and a belief in American values. You look at speeches of Frederick Douglass, they were replete with, uh, with the praise of American values, even though those values were not applied to Black people. And now to, to wave the flag makes you some sort of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of sellout. Uh, people like uh, Colin Kaepernick are praised for, for kneeling. And uh, uh, all of these things, patriotism, uh, Judeo-Christian values, entrepreneurship, and family are the reasons Black people, as I said before, were able to continue to move forward uh, in the face of obstacles that are far, far more, more insidious than the ones Black people face today. So we, we mentioned Saul Alinsky, and people have got to watch the movie just to hear him on camera and like the juxtaposition between his messaging and some of the messaging that we saw, for example, during the civil rights movement um, or, or, and thereafter. And then you get to Eric Mann. Here's a clip from the movie on Eric Mann's SOT 22. I do believe in Marxism. It's a philosophy that I learned really early on in my organizing career. We were taught to learn about the systems that were criticizing capitalism. Whenever Patrice Culler said we're trained Marxists, she was telling the truth. She's a trained Marxist. 
and Eric Mann is the man who trained her. I spend my time right now organizing mainly young people that want to be revolutionaries. Young, primarily women, black, Latina, Asian. It's essentially based on guerrilla warfare principles, which is you're up against a far more powerful enemy. And you have a very small little army, and you're trying to figure out with this little army that maybe, at best, is um, like a flea bite. You know, how do you kill an elephant with flea bites? We start with the intersection of the Black and Latino community as a strategic alliance that's central to building a broader multiracial left. This is the father of Black Lives Matter. The Black trans women who have been murdered. To the extent that Black people are involved, these are useful idiots. These are people who are fronts to carry out the agenda of white Marxists. If we don't have a base in the Black and Latino community, we can't branch out. you got to have a strategy, and that's at least my strategy. That's so interesting, Larry. And one thing that jumps out at me there is you can feel the BLM crowd, the the far left progressives in a panic that the Latinos are starting to slip away because you just heard him say they're essential. They're essential to this. And yet they're not in. They're not all in in the way that guys like Eric Mann want them to be. Well, and you pointed out uh, Hispanics are quite a religious people. Uh, and Karl Marx was an atheist who wanted to, quote, dethrone God, as we point out in Uncle Tom, too. Uh, so the whole attack uh, is anti-capitalist. Uh, uh, anti-entrepreneurship, anti-ownership of property, anti-God. How in the world does that relate to the Black experience in America? It doesn't make any sense. And as I pointed out, 85% of Black people support Black Lives Matter. That's how successful this movement has been. That's how indoctrinated Blacks are. That's how clueless a lot of Black people uh, and non-Black people are about what made America great and what made Black America survive despite all these hideous obstacles uh, that they faced right after slavery. Mm. I think I have. Do I have enough time to play the Saul Alinsky one, guys? Just asking my team. Mm. OK, we can do it. We can get in a little bit of Saul Alinsky because I think that's a name very familiar to our our audience as somebody who inspired Obama, who inspired Hillary. Here it is. Sot 21. You had these black pastors taking marching orders. One spokesman was always selected. Uh, may I have your attention, please? We're going to the mayor's office and then to the chamber of commerce. I'm Reverend Fletcher Bryan, who will be the spokesman. I am the spokesman, one spokesman in the organization. A week ago, he is told that he's got to have a specific question and stay with it. A specific requests in regard to jobs in the face of a crisis in job inequities in the Negro community. Some 916 jobs appear to be available. That includes the 600 jobs of the county is making available. Never let the mayor get off the... But then you're saying that they have not delivered at this point. And the second point I'd like to... No, you're saying it. I'm not saying it. This is one thing in terms of tactics. You sit with a political leader and you say, this is the question. Are these jobs of a temporary or permanent nature? I haven't got the full specifics on them. Some of them will be... You don't hear them. Do you recognize us or don't you? Well, let me at this time, Mr. Mayor make crystal clear Bill's position on this job matter. 
It's amazing. It's amazing how Solinsky is everywhere in the progressive movement, manipulating people to do his bidding. So, Larry, what's the takeaway for people like what? Because I know at the end you're suggesting you should take a hard look at the civil rights movement and maybe even at MLK. Yeah, just work hard, uh, invest in yourself, uh, get a decent education uh, and stop this nonsense about America being systemically racist. And much of that footage was dug up by my brilliant director, uh, Justin Malone, uh, also co-written by a guy named Ryder Anso uh, and beautifully scored by a man named Damon Criswell. So I want to give uh, people credit for this collaborative effort. And as you can see it on UncleTom.com, UncleTom.com. It's it's so worth doing. Please like take Take, it's less than two hours and you will leave feeling really edified. Larry's always worth listening to. Such a pleasure, my friend. Great to see you again. You too. Thank you for having me. All right. Don't forget UncleTom.com right now. UncleTom.com. Tomorrow, David Limbaugh is going to be here. This will be his first appearance on the show. This is brother of Rush Limbaugh. Known him for a long, long time. Really looking forward to this discussion. He's got a new book out, taking a hard look. Speaking of the Larry Elder movie on uh, what's happened to Christianity and the absence of it in our society. It's had really negative consequences, uh, just some of which are outlined in Uncle Tom, too. Meantime, download our show, if you would, on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, YouTube.com slash Megyn Kelly. And we'll chat tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.